This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and your one-stop shop for optimizing all your office technology. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Is it caught? Is it caught? Oh my goodness, it's caught! DeAndre Hopkins caught it! He caught it for a touchdown! You've got to be joking me! Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Kyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. You know, we're gathered here today. Together today, not as much as people ready to podcast, I figure, but more as a support group. Are you with me on this? Leaning on each other right now in this this time of great need, right? In fact, if it wasn't for the strict COVID protocols, I'd say we could all reach out and, and join hands in this moment as, as we remember the 2021 season. Cut down way too soon, you could say, in the prime of its postseason snuffed out just i'm gonna start tearing up Paul. i mean the emotions are still raw darren urban you know at some point we might we might get to a celebration of life in this edition of cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation but right off the top you know i don't mind saying the seven letter f word funeral this is a stinking funeral <laughs> off the top paul calvisi darren urban and representing the 18 to 34 demo <laughs> Our own Danny Sarek, who has his ar- her arms up in the air right now. At least there's celebration of some sort as Danny is celebrating <laughs> her first ever appearance here point. on Cardinals Underground. Personal victories, Paul. <laughs> there you go. All our best to Felipe Corral Jr. I'm not sure if he's under the weather or he, he is just. Under the weather. Are you sure? You he's, sure he just he, wasn't? He's definitely under the weather. We're, we're not sure what that means these days. <laughs> you sure he wasn't ready for the moment? Because uh, <laughs> maybe maybe like the rest of the Cardinals on Monday night against the Rams, uh, maybe he's just not ready for this moment he's at this point. He's in hiding right now? Yeah, Is that's that what you're... Exactly, yeah, exactly. I can see that. Danny, what are the emotions on, on your end of this broadcast table? What, what are you experiencing right now? Let's, let's, let's channel what your emotions are, and then, and then we'll go from there as we launch into – at some point, we need a starting point here. What do you suggest? I feel like I'm almost still shocked trying to figure out how it is that I'm feeling in this moment. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised I'm shocked just by how the, the team was playing near the end of the season. I guess just for some reason, the everything being magnified in the playoffs and the, the leadership that they had, all the veterans they brought in and just the new slate. Like I really thought this team was going to show up and show out and at least give a, themselves a chance against the Rams. And I feel like I was just so shocked by how everything went down Monday night. And maybe that's because quickly had to turn around to travel and then come into the office. And it's just been a long, what, two days at this point. I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about how it ended in the season as a whole. Um, I could see why some of the players straight up called it a failure. And then I think when you kind of sit on it a little more, you try and look bigger picture and, well, how much of a failure was it really if you were still trending upwards? But I'm still trying to figure out where I stand right now. I think shocked might be the 
the most pressing emotion. Maybe we're somewhere between those two seven-letter F words, failure and funeral. Maybe it's somewhere in between there that we all find ourselves. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the best. I honestly had convinced myself that the Arizona Cardinals were going to show up now that it was the postseason and the playoffs, and they were going to look like the team that started 7-0, and that started 10-2, and that in particular went 8-1 and on the road, started the year by jack-stomping Tennessee in their own place, and then won in week four at the Rams, and all those glorious road wins. I really thought that team was going to show up in L.A. on Monday night under the bright lights, and I'm still at a loss to understand what exactly happened or did not happen for the Arizona Cardinals in that game because anything, uh, any other barometer you want to use to gauge that game, uh, there were two teams playing at two different speeds on that field. You can talk about anything and everything else, but it starts with if you're Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph, what do you do when your guys just aren't matching the ferocity and veracity of the other team's effort? I mean – I, I that's a great question, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure where you approach this, and I'm not sure. the 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 issue right now, and let's face it, guys, is this is a question that we've been talking about for a month. I mean, yeah, the playoffs is what's front of mind right now, but what happened in that game wasn't really that much different than a couple other games that they had down the stretch. It wasn't uh, un- that much unlike the Carolina home loss no. or the loss at the Detroit that, Lions. Yeah, and and that was that was the disappointment. I mean, even some of their other losses, at least they were in the game. The Seattle Seahawks game, they weren't. I, for, for me, the, the first thing that gets to me is like, wh- what happened to this offense? I mean, we can talk about DeAndre Hopkins being down, and I do think that made a big difference, but this was an offense that, was relatively effective in games at Seattle and at San Francisco without Kyler Murray. And and it just it just felt like it, it that got lost so much that the ability to score in the red zone and and I and I know we're going to get into this later but like I absolutely feel like they built an offense that was set uh, up for big success when you had Edmonds and Connor together. And I know that they were together in this game, but then they got behind so much. But, like, I, I felt like losing that rhythm of the two of them together really, really hurt them. In, in addition to a passing game that just kind of disappeared. And by the way, was James Connor in pain? Yes. He would come to the sideline, and he was grimacing something fierce. So he was definitely – and he was wearing a huge set of rib pads around his midsection. So uh, he, he – he tried to gut it out, and literally, with his guts out there. And, uh, you know, it just – he wasn't the same player. The Cardinals just weren't the same team. And, and the point about the offense – and, yeah, a lot of this ties directly back to DeAndre Hopkins or the loss thereof. Think about it. Kyler Murray, in seven games without D-Hop, had the same number of touchdown passes. Actually, let me, let me start that again. Had the same number of wins minus D-Hop that Colt McGoy did in three games. So he, oh my gosh. he had two wins in seven games without D-Hop, whereas Colt McCoy won two out of three without D-Hop. And I think that was a lot of the astonishment, I think, from the Red Sea, was if Colt McCoy made it work without D-Hop, why not Kyler Murray? Is that, is that why I had people asking why Colt McCoy wasn't playing quarterback? <laughs> yes, I saw some of that. I did see some of that. And and, and I get it. I get it. You, your season's on the line, and, and you need a spark, and you come out. 
In your first four possessions, you go three and out, and at the end of the first quarter, you have negative three total yards, and at the half, you have 40 total yards. You know, are you still in the game? You're down 21 nothing at the half. And at halftime, walking out of the locker room, Lisa Salters and yours truly with the head coach. And oh, I see the name drop right. Did you hear that I, name I drop right there, there, Danny? Threw it out there. And, 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 and he said, look, he said two things. One, that's as bad as it can be. And then number two, there's no 21-point play. you you got to treat this like a 0-0 game. That's the only way you can come out of this locker room. But And, and, and Danny, you can react to this, but in terms of – the overall team, you know what it reminded me of a little bit, Darren, is when the Cardinals did not have a quarterback in the dark days. Ugh. In the dark days between Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer or between Carson Palmer and Kyler Murray. And what would happen? What was the first thing to happen when you got down 10 nothing, 14 nothing? The defense lost trust in the offense. Yeah. The defense didn't believe anymore. The defense thought, well, we're not moving the ball, and it's not working with this quarterback. We've got no chance. Uh, what, what's, what are they serving on the team playing? <laughs> yes. That's the vibe I got because that, the Cardinals' a, offense was so inept. If that's true, then we got big problems because I understand, uh, with all due respect to Tempe City Council candidate John Skelton and those type people. <laughs> I've seen those campaign signs. Um you know, I kind of understood it in those days. I understood it in 2018. Uh, that shouldn't be the case right now. Uh, you know, I and Danny, when we're looking at when we're looking at what they did offensively down the stretch, it was it never clicked like it did that first six weeks of the season, first eight weeks of the season. But I mean, they they did score 30 points against the Seahawks. Now again, there was a defensive score there, and they they bogged down in the red zone, but they moved the ball. They I. I just, I don't know, the the Rams game just felt completely off the rails in a lot of ways. It felt very Detroit Lion-y. And I think, too, this team did not have a lot of success at coming back this yeah, season. That's true. Right? It was a hot start, and then, you know, they'd get a turnover by the defense, and the offense would take advantage of that, and they were playing complimentary football. But whenever, there were a couple games where it was the defense keeping them in the game, but whenever this team fell behind more than a score or two, it just kind of felt like, oh, well, like we're not, we're out of it. Like, let's just finish the game. And it always came down to the instance of like, okay, like we have to score and then we have to get an onside kick and then we'll have 24 seconds to get yeah. a, and it was just kind of like, it, saying, it always felt like there was so much pressure. And I just felt like this team was panicking under the pressure and nobody seemed to be controlled or, you know, even killed throughout all this it just it felt like playing catch-up and this team just did not succeed when they were playing from behind this season and I don't know if that is attributed more so to adjusting how plays are being called I don't know if that's more intangibles like the type of leadership and belief you have to have in each other and yourself and in the locker room I think we're going to have to take a bit of time to kind of figure all this out but I don't know what was missing but this I think that was a lot of it is that this team fell behind and they weren't even playing well to begin with and then they just couldn't get themselves out of that hole. I mean, I can think of two comeback wins all year at Jacksonville. Yeah. You, you suffered the kick six right before halftime. Yeah. And then I think at halftime, guys said, we're not losing to Jacksonville. And then after the game, what a lot of those guys say, a year ago, we lose that game. That was the comment in Jacksonville. I vividly remember that, all including the head coach. A year I, ago, we lose that I game. I do so, remember that. So you thought, okay, you know what? The mental toughness is better in 2021. Then they got down 5 nothing against Houston at home very lackluster first quarter, and then they ripped off 31 unanswered. 
But and, what, what, and they won that game 31-5. But that was the last comeback all year, I believe. And what what is the common thread between those two games? You're playing the two worst yeah. teams in the league. Yeah, very inferior opponents. I mean, yes. and that's and that's ultimately the problem. I, I guess I shouldn't say two worst teams in the league. Cause Detroit. The two worst, <laughs> Detroit was one of the two worst yeah. teams in the league. And, right. And you, you didn't come back against them. I, I just I, – I agree with you guys. It is weird how, you know, it, it didn't work like that. I mean, even Jacksonville – you know, from the other side, what were the Jaguars saying after that game? What was the national kind of thought on that game? Why did Urban Meyer call a flea flicker when you were running it down the Cardinals' throats at that point? If Byron Murphy doesn't make that interception, do they come back on that game? Mm. And, you mm. know, and the Houston game, you know, 5 nothing is 5 nothing. I mean, that's that's one score, and it was so early. I, you know, I do remember they were down five nothing. I do remember it was kind of the, but uh, you know, I, I also never quite thought of that as a comeback. And that's that's a thing. And and you wonder sometimes, like, if AJ Green turns around in the end zone, do they have a different mindset when it t- comes to coming back in games? You know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and look, when the Cardinals got down in that game Monday night, and I said we talked about it. In the pregame show, and, and I brought it up on the air, one of the sideline hits, I said, remember what the Niners did when they got down 17 nothing to the Rams in their own building in Week 18. They didn't abandon the run. They kept running the ball. That's how Kyle Shanahan has beaten the Rams six times in a row. They've run it straight between the tackles, right down their throat. They ended up with 31 rushing attempts for a buck 35. But the Cardinals never committed to the run, whether it was because by choice or or they just didn't have the ability to when their offensive line was getting dominated. Once again, there's only so much you can do as a play call when you're looking out there and your offensive line is getting blown off the ball. Well, and I also, when you're talking about, I mean, if you want to run between the tackles as much as Chase Edmonds can do it, you want to do James Conner, and we've already established that James Conner was not 100%. Right. So, you know, there's – and then there's the Kyler factor against the Rams. And this is my belief, and it was after the game. Where's the quote? Here's Aaron Donald after the game. I feel like we were dominant. I feel like the QB wasn't comfortable at all. And remember we talked about it, the Monday night game in week 14. And the moment Aaron Donald started the game with a sack and then added 15 quarterback pressures by the end of the game, wound up with three sacks total, three tackles for loss, human wrecking ball, Kyler was not comfortable, and it's almost like he had a recollection of that game, and he was having flashbacks because guess what? He had the same right guard lined up against 99 again, and I just don't think if you're wondering, man, what is the cause and effect on Kyler playing arguably the worst game of his NFL career? Kyler Murray making the single worst play, I thought, with the pick six. How can you not watch that play and think that's rookie football? That's a rookie quarterback. Carson Wentz wasn't a rookie. And and you see that, and you say, okay, what what is going on here? And I think it it's twofold. Not only is it D Hop, and is and just not seeing the field like he used to when D Hop used to dictate coverage and, and really allow him to go through his progressions and reads based on what defenses were doing against D Hop. But then number two, they couldn't contain the Rams' pass rush, especially Aaron Donald, and it makes your quarterback unsettled. Amazing how that happens, right? And I feel like this wasn't even just this last game. I feel like we were watching Kyler the last couple of weeks maybe like hold on to the ball a little longer, and so I don't know if that was not liking what he was seeing in his receivers or the way they were being covered or what that was. 
I just feel like this was magnetized in this game because the Rams were playing at such a fast speed. It just kind of felt like it was too quick for them to handle and see what was going on and adjust that way. And it just, he did. He looked uncomfortable. He looked panicked and that he was being rushed in some sense. And it just, nothing was working out for them. I I saw a a tweet from our good friend Vince Murata. I don't know if you caught this, Paul. I did, I did not. Um, and he was like, I'm presenting this as fact. It's fact. It wasn't, it's not to say one way or the other or whatever, but I guess he looked it up and of the 39 active quarterbacks that have started a playoff game in the league right now, okay, Kyler Murray's 40.9 passer rating was the second lowest out of all of them in their first playoff game. Wow. And that's, you know, that, you can understand the first playoff game being, you know, not maybe your best. But, you know, again, we, we spent the week hearing how Cliff felt like, hey, we think our quarterback's going to have a great game. Kyler saying, I'm built for this. I was raised for this. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of thought that too. Um but it, it didn't turn out well. And and while he played super well in Dallas, where he always plays well, um, the games under the lights this year for Kyler Murray were not great, the four primetime games. 0 for 4. Cardinals are 0 for 4 in primetime. And Kyler in primetime, I crunched those numbers. That's what you call a segue, Danny, when Darren brings that up because I got this right here. I almost feel like Craig Greeley with this sort of information at my fingertips. Here we go. Crunch some numbers over here, Calvisi Consulting. In the four primetime games, Kyler Murray had one touchdown pass and six picks. One? Against Green Bay, he had zero touchdown passes, two interceptions, a passer rating of 67. Against the Rams on Monday night, zero touchdown passes, two interceptions, passer rating of 72. He got sacked four times, and he got harassed about 400 times. Against Indianapolis on Christmas night, he had a touchdown, zero picks. He took the safety, which was critical, and a passer rating of 86. He threw it 43 times against Indy. They couldn't get a run game going 27 to 43, but that was that was plausible. That was, you know, that was feasible uh, in terms of a victory. Cardinals didn't yeah. get it. Obviously missed a couple of uh, field goals and an extra point. They had nine points they gave away in that game. They lost to the Colts on Christmas night. And then Monday night football, the playoffs against the Rams, once again, zero touchdown passes, two picks, and that passer rating of basically 41 that Darren mentioned. If I watched all those games, why am I so shocked to hear that? <laughs> well, here's – I mean, for me, I'll be honest. It's, uh, you know, the Rams game, uh, as as tough as it was, that was a close game. It was a tied game at halftime, the first Rams game, the the, the first prime uh, – the, Monday, the, yeah, the week Monday 14. Yes, week 14. Sorry, the regular season, Monday night game. Um, the Colts game – uh, you know, they moved the ball. They, they Again, part of our discussion is not finishing in the red zone, kicking way too many field goals. I'd have to look, but I feel like Matt Prater kicked a heck of a lot of field goals in the last four or five games. Or You know, and that's just that just can't happen. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was Seahawks, they were in that game. I mean, that's the thing is, like, they got blown out by Detroit, but in these other games they didn't get blown out. And they were in those 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 primetime games. Again, if A.J. Green turns around, Rasul Douglas is absolutely boxed out. That is in, in no doubt in my mind that's a touchdown catch. They make this fantastic uh, comeback for 8-0. And does that change everything? Who knows? I don't know. Um, they still might have struggled down the stretch. But um, 
man, it's when you start looking at hindsight. I mean, I even look in hindsight there for the Rasul Douglas stuff. It's like you get a lot of uh, people that were unhappy that this team had access to Rasul Douglas on the practice squad and let right. him go. Yep. And my argument is, okay, I know he's had a great season, but um, he couldn't beat out Antonio Hamilton while he was here. Plus, they were healthy at cornerback. And let's face it, are we saying the same things about Rasul Douglas if he gets beat by getting boxed out by A.J. Green? Probably I mean, not. it was well, – I mean, I don't know. Here's the only thing about Rasul Douglas real quick is you don't know the body of his work. It's sort of like Trayvon Diggs to the Cowboys. He might have 11 picks, but he's also near the bottom when it comes to the in pro football wow. focus rankings overall as a corner. And when the Cardinals went to Dallas, A.J. Green was consistently a step ahead of Trayvon Diggs and had separation all game long, and he didn't get his hands on a single football. Well, and with, and with Douglas – you know, before the Cardinals had him on the practice squad, he had been uh, with four different teams in like 16 months or 12 months or 13 months, whatever it was. So it's not like the Cardinals uh, like somehow had this great, you know, I don't know. To me, the cornerback, the, the rub here isn't Antonio Hamilton. It was Marco Wilson. Because in the Week 14 game, they got two touchdown passes. Matthew Stafford did against Marco Wilson. What did they do in the playoff game? Two more against Marco Wilson. One of those touchdowns in that Monday night game, though, Matthew Stafford threaded the needle perfectly right like that. I don't know that Marco Wilson could have done anything yeah, different I agree that, with that one. I'm just saying you can't tell yeah. me that, that the Sean McVay works game the first plan, time. that the Sean McVay game plan was we're going at 20. And I think what's interesting, too, when, when talking about Kyler, though, and his struggles is when you look, and Kingsbury said the same thing when uh, I asked him about it this week of, in hindsight, where do you see the turning point from how this team started to how they finished and he talked about what like weeks eight nine ten when you had jj and d hop and kyler and kyler was the only one that came back from those big injuries and losing deandre hopkins is huge because he's not just your team's number one receiver he's arguably one of the best in the league so of course that's going to be huge i just don't understand how they weren't able to find anything else that was working for them consistently throughout the rest of the season. And so when you think about the struggles those last couple weeks with Kyler, I don't see them as going back to that ankle injury or anything like lingering or anything of that sense. I think it was just couldn't figure out whether that was chemistry or communication on those routes or just not able to get open. And that, to me, I think is one of the most concerning things at now the very start of the offseason is how can this offense be successful if it seems like it's only really working when you've got one receiver because the trickle-down of how that affects all the others. The thing is, is that's that's how it looked down the stretch, but at the same time, I mean, again, you you were making, like you were saying, I mean, you made some things work when Hop was first out. James Conner, I mean, the I think part of the problem was, again, you when Hop went out, to me, that just upped the ante for needing that duo of Edmonds and Conner, and they didn't play together. I mean, they just once Chase Edmonds hurt his ankle on the first offensive play in San Francisco. The two of them were on the field in the same game for two games: the Detroit loss, which oh. is weird, and then the playoff loss. So basically, the two worst losses. Um, those are the only two times they played together. Now, James Conner was unbelievable when Chase Edmonds was out, and and I feel like carried this team. But at the same time, it's like you've only got so many skill players and we're not even mentioning that Rondell Moore wasn't a part of things down the stretch. I mean, 
they they were missing skill guys in 2020. They added some skill guys to go around DeAndre Hopkins. Then Hopkins gets hurt, and then they have some other injuries. Everybody's got injuries. You got to make it work. And I I do think that a lot of this falls on the quarterback and needing more from the quarterback, uh, including if we want to talk about that. Like I do think I I think they need to find a way to run him more. There's got to be a middle ground of you don't want to overrun your quarterback for safety, right? Well, but, but again, but, but with his skill level, yeah. I think you need to integrate that but, more. But see, the question is is how you do it. And and I I actually I I think the coaches probably wouldn't mind running him more. I think this is something Kyler is not fond of because he knows he can get hurt. And he thinks well, he can get it done the other way. The problem was he wasn't getting it done the other way. He's been on the record since his rookie year saying he likes for the running quarterback to be organic, to come to him. Be a luxury. And he doesn't necessarily like the design runs. He likes to be able to have the option that if the DBs have their back to him and he sees open green, I'm out of here. And then he'll scoot to the marker and and pick up a first down. But, yeah. Scoot. I I like that word, scoot. I'm, I'm among those, Darren, who really thought, you would see more of a Buffalo game plan. What did we see on their first possession, Buffalo and route to the route in New England? You saw Josh Allen keep it, run off tackle for 23 yards. And they just make a statement. We've got this in our arsenal. You better defend this. you got to respect the quarterback run. I thought we would see more of it in a playoff game, that they'd be willing to risk his health a little bit more. But maybe it's the third rail for Kyler. Maybe it's a non-starter for Kyler, and they don't go there. That's an unknown. And I feel like, too, even more in the beginning of the season when we were seeing more of that complimentary football, maybe that's because they had more freedom because they were having early starts and early leads, and maybe that played a role in it, too. I just kind of feel like all of the magic we saw offensively in the first half of the season, we just kind of lost on the back end. And again, I find it hard to believe that's all because you don't have DeAndre Hopkins. I think there's a lot of pieces coming into play here. All right, so there was a rant from Mina Kimes of sorts on ESPN. Did you see her little blurb when it came to missing uh, D-Hop and losing five of your last six? And I quote, the fact that the Arizona Cardinals were so dependent on a single receiver is not only an indictment of their offensive system, but the entire roster. This was an institutional failure. That's Mina Kimes. Now, I'm going to go. I'm going to make two points. These are two theories, and, and you might have heard these before on Cardinals Underground. In fact, the first one, I'll go back to the second meeting in early December against the Rams when the Rams were coming off their three-game losing skid. And what did they do? What did Sean McVay do? Because they had lost Robert Woods, and Robert Woods was more of a catalyst in that receiver room than I guess anyone had figured, and they were leading the league in three and four wide receiver sets as a percentage of their offensive plays. And they said, you know what? This isn't working anymore. Minus Robert Woods, Odell Beckham had just arrived on the scene. So he went back to his old offensive system when they had Todd Gurley. And they started running between the tackles a lot more, a lot more play action. That's how they started using Darrell Henderson and then Cam Akers coming back, et cetera. Okay. And Sony Michelle obviously was the big back and was breaking a lot of those tackles like Todd Gurley used to do in his prime. And, and we threw that out there. Did we not, Darren? On Cardinals Underground. Do the Cardinals need yeah. to do more than just – Put Antoine Wesley in D-Hop's spot. Do they need to rethink the offense overall? Here's the other theory, is that the one game Kyler excelled in down the stretch was against Dallas. And what does Dallas do? They play a lot of man cover. I'd love to see a breakdown on Kyler's performance against zone coverages. He just seems to be a different quarterback against zone cover. And and especially without D-Hop, 
they can just play straight zone with no extra attention paid to any single receiver. And I think that used to dictate where he would go with the ball a lot as well because he was so accustomed to D-hop and what they would do, double coverage or bracket the safety over the top. And he knew that so well that he could then go through his progressions a lot better than if they're just playing a straight too high safety shell coverage zone. And I think that's part of the reason why he was holding on to the ball for so long. That's my theory. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a fair point. And, uh, you know, again, this league is about adjustments. And I, I do feel like they struggled with trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to do. Um you know, it's funny. Hop, it's not. Hop was a obviously a huge part of this, but it's his, statistically, it's not like he was getting all the targets when he went out. So is it just a case of since the defense had to pay more ch- attention to him? It's just weird. You know, it's interesting. You know what Sean McVay said coming out of the locker room at halftime. Uh, once again, thank you, Lisa Salters. Uh, Sean McVay said Cooper Cup's getting all the attention, and that's opening up things for other guys. That was McVay's assessment at halftime of the Cardinals' defensive coverage against his receivers. So I, so in a roundabout way to reverse engineer that, Darren, you're right. D-Hop didn't necessarily get a ton of targets, but to what degree did that make all the other receivers look better? And I think that's something you have to look at. I, I know we'll touch on this later, but I think, too, you know, you've got some of those receivers who are free agents, and I think those have to come into question, too, now of when, when D-Hop was out there, that allowed A.J. Green to be a great number two, and then you had Christian Kirk, and then you could use Rondale more. And I just think that when D-Hop left and everybody else had to elevate their game, it's just nobody else is D-Hop. And if that's how the, the offense is set up to work and you don't have that key piece, you got to make some changes. I think the stat is, uh, here it is, 11 of Kyler's 34 attempts, passing attempts against the Rams, were behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, when Kyler gets That's up there. That's not ideal, Paul. No, and, and you know, I, there are guys who have played the game who will text me out of nowhere, and one of the questions I got a lot of when he was healthy, which wasn't a whole bunch over the second half of the year, was why isn't Rondell more downfield more? Why isn't he getting targets downfield? Why can't he be that Tyreek Hill type? If he has that 4-3 speed, why is he relegated to just perimeter stuff along the line of scrimmage and – I don't know if he was healthy the last month of the season, Rondell Moore, if that would have been more of an option, if that would have opened up the passing game a little more, deploy him down the seam, let him, everybody now, take the top off, right? Okay. Uh, you know, so. It's your favorite uh, phrase, Paul. <laughs> you know, or Zach Ertz, too. But, I feel like there'd be a yeah, lot of times we'd see a yeah. lot of Zach Ertz or we just wouldn't see a lot of him. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Either I'm, or. I'm watching the playoff game on Monday night from the sideline and I'm pointing at Eric Weddle and going, a week ago, that guy is driving a minivan with four kids. <laughs> Can somebody target something on Eric Weddle? And the Cardinals completed one pass beyond 15 yards against the Rams. One. There was no downfield passing attack. Why can't you try and get Eric Weddle in space? Try, does he have it or doesn't he? He's 37. He's been out of the game for two years. and He's going to show up in a playoff game, and you didn't even test him. That's what was frustrating to me. Well, I know the pass rush was part of the problem there. Sure it was. There's cause, and, there's cause and effect. You're right. But, I mean, look, I, we can we can dissect this all day, this game that went to crap as soon as it basically started unfortunately but uh you know it'll be you know where this offense kind of evolves to 
next season, I think is, I think it's 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 going to be something to watch. And we can talk about who the wide receivers are, and and I do think that they could probably use an upgrade uh, to get another piece in there. Um, but I I feel like as I sit here now, a couple days after the season's over, it's still going to come down. It's going to be the same storyline that we've had for two years, three years, which is the head coach and the quarterback and where they go in their growth and, you know, how much more time they're going to be given to have that growth. I said to Wolf on the team playing, you know, in between him reaching for peanut M&Ms, I said, Wolf, this team could start eight and three next year and everyone's going to yawn. Yep. Everyone's going to wait for December. I have, I've actually had fans say that already. They <laughs> They're like we could be ten and zero next year. No one's going to care, yeah. which is that's tough. It is tough because now you started ten and two. The chances of you replicating. I disagree with that. I think if this team is ten and two, I think the fan base is going to be very excited. Uh, yes, yes. It's easy to say that now, but I will also say that if they're ten and two, there will be all that excitement. But there will be most of them worried the other shoe's going to drop. And I get that. I think that's fair. I think it would be a different story had this back half of the season, a lot of these losses, the Cardinals played better. It's one thing if you lose and oh, you, yeah. if you actually play like that, sometimes that just happens. But a lot of their losses, they just yeah. didn't play well at all, couldn't keep up with the other team. And I think that's the hard part, too, is like it wasn't just they were losing. They were playing nowhere near as well as we had seen them for the first half of the season. But it but well, two points to make to that. Number one, you're right, but that's exactly why people freaked out. It wasn't just that they played poorly, but that's what they saw at the end of last season after a good start. And two, again, it's it's the the dichotomy between how they were playing the first six weeks and then how they played the last six weeks is really something to behold. I mean, if you go back on Game Pass and watch the Titans game or watch uh, the first Rams game, That that it's not even recognizable to what you were watching down the stretch. I said earlier today I was on with, with Wolf, and I, I said just being on the sideline, <laughs> the feeling, just the energy, the intensity, the edge the Cardinals played with and going to 7-0, and 10-2, just walking into some of those road venues and basically – you know, looking around and saying, watch this, and going out and, and proving it. And they didn't just win. They were talking trash to the fans behind the bench. They were The head coach was barking at opposing players and yelling at the opposing sideline. I mean, it was from top to bottom. There was a whole different edge about the team. And so it just makes you wonder what happened. You know, G, DJ Humphreys, I think, was asked directly, right? He said multiple guys were asked directly. Asked, and basically it was, you know, what happened? What happened? And, you know, the before and the after, and DJ's answer was, because I have the quote right here, when you lose that many games in a row, you lost something. Yeah. So that's the question of the offseason. What was it? Fill in the blank. That's what I'm going back to, those intangibles of of believing in yourself and in your teammates. And I think when they went on that three-game losing skid, they didn't have that mental strength or the belief in themselves of, like, we are still a good team we can still do this. I think they got so wrapped up and like we're losing where we're not yeah. playing, you know, and it just, they couldn't come out of that. And I think you could honestly, in hindsight now 
see that with how they ended the season, even though they still made the playoffs, like to come off how you ended that season of going, gosh, they went like what, one in five, one in six with a playoff loss. So was that one in four of their last yeah. five? I, mean, I, I, I agree with you. It's funny. They lost that Rams game, which if the Monday night regular season won, they lose that game. If they win that game, they essentially wrap up the NFC West. Yep. I mean, the magic number would have been one with like four games to go or whatever it would have been. So you lose that. And the problem with losing that game was not just that all of a sudden the NFC West is back in play, but you were working with, at the time, no margin for error to try and stay as the number one seed in the NFC or trying to get back there. Well, I forget exactly what the standings were at the point at that point. But there, there was like this high wire act and you and you fell off it okay we we it's going to be tough with all these teams at the top to get back to that number one seed i I mean to me the 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 game that changed everything was detroit because you absolutely are counting on that as a victory you're absolutely counting on that as to be like another notch where you're getting closer to the division title when you lose that game and the and the rams are able to catch you in the division uh, now you're questioning everything. Now everybody's like, well, wait, you lost the Rams and you lost to the Panthers when they were playing pretty decent uh, and you lost to the Packers, but now you lost to the Lions. They're terrible. What is wrong with you? And now that's in your head. And then you lose a close game, which, as Paul already mentioned, uh, a game you don't lose, I think, if your holder is healthy. Mm. I mean, and and then it's just it, that now you're just tumbling down. It's like you're 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 falling down this this rolling down this cliff, and it, you can't grab anything to like stop yourself from rolling down this mountain. And it, you're just out of control. And there's just and that's kind of how it felt. I mean, the Seattle game would have been nice to win, but ultimately, and what's funny is it meant something. And that's the other problem is you went into that Seattle game thinking, okay, the Rams lose and we win, we win the division. But I never really got the sense that anybody believed the Rams were going to lose that game. And the Cardinals kind of played that way. And then the Rams do lose. So then you get the double punch there of not only losing yet another game, but you blew another chance. I mean, that's the problem is is they this this team had the chance to control its own destiny out four different times this year, whether it was the number one seed or winning the division or or even clinching their own playoff spot without having to back in, and they they weren't able to do it, and I that that's got to stick. All right, I have a theory. We're getting this, awful negative. Th- this this might get Calvisi consulting. This is a funeral. Uh, that's it is right. a funeral. That's right. <laughs> that's right. The celebration of life will come later in the off season. This right now is definitely <laughs> a funeral. And, is there uh, going to be good food there? It's, uh, it's. Uh, let me tell you, before you get to load up your plate, you're first going to have to hear the following because I prepared this. And so you're, I'm, I have the podium right now, so you're going to have to sit there and squirm in your seat a little bit longer until you get your finger sandwiches. Here we go. It's a theory, only a theory. It might be touching the third rail. I might get slugged by mem- – thank goodness we can't get into the locker room these days with COVID protocols because I might get Paulie punched to the face. But – I wonder how many guys went into self-preservation mode. There are about 30 free agents or so on this roster, correct? They got to 7-0, and they got to 10-2. Yeah. And, and at 10-2, and they're like, you know what? We're good. We're into the playoffs now. Even if we back in, which they did, hit the reverse beep sound effect, even if we do back in, we're in. And that's better than last year. That's another notch in the old progression belt. 
And you know what? Now it's time to think of thyself to make sure that I go into the offseason healthy, that I maximize my own earning power. I hope that didn't happen. But the lackluster way they played some of these games was zero energy and urgency and intensity. You know, to Danny's point, it wasn't just the losses. It was, it was the you lost the eyeball test in addition to the game. You just didn't bring it. It wasn't even close to being the same team you saw over the first two, three months. Why? What happened? The only thing I can think of is that too many guys started thinking of their own football future instead of the teams. And how do you explain going to Dallas and you hold the Cowboys to a season-low 45 yards rushing, and then the very next week Seattle rips off over 200? At about seven yards a carry. So you're just talking about the last couple games. I'm just talking about the last month and a half. Well, I guess that's my point, though. Like I, that, there was so much noise going into the Dallas game that they were almost compelled to go out and put a good game out maybe. there just to try and stop the noise. But then once the noise stopped and they got everyone off their back, they sort of fell back into that comfort zone of going, okay, this is. I just activated the hands-free driving on this car, and I'm going cruise control right into the off season, and then I'll call my agent. I guess ultimately, I mean, I, I'm thinking off the top, and I'm guessing we're not going to get into names. That's a, a very dangerous thing to do right now. But I, I would, I would say that I'm thinking of a, of some of the free agents that are to be, and they just don't strike me as that kind of player. Nor did I think that they played that way. So. And okay, you want to be playing well if you're in a contract year. If you don't end up with your same team, you want another team to want you. The eye don't lie, Danny. The eye in the sky don't lie. I've heard that for 20 years in those locker rooms. And you know what? That's a valid point. And and, and I would also say there's guys but, that, that I don't think played all that well that aren't free agents. So. Right. And you're right. Teams could easily call up your last month of film and say, whoa, uh, which player is he? I get it. But then there are also enough guys who put enough good film out there and have enough of a reputation that they feel like, okay, I'm good. Now the key is I have to stay healthy going into the offseason. I wonder if more of this was just – I mean, Zach Allen said this at one point in that back half of the season that winning acts as a deodorant for what you're doing wrong. Yeah. And so when you go 10-2, and two, you can watch film and find things to improve on, but if you're winning – and beating good teams, right? It's okay. Like we, we can still work around this. And I think on both sides of the ball on offense, it was D hop and on defense, the back half, all of a sudden your secondary got really banged up really fast. And the secondary had been solid to where it could kind of take care of the fact that your run defense wasn't consistently top notch. They could get by with that. And so I think when on offense, you lost D-hop, and then on defense, your secondary. Those were the strong points on both sides of the ball. It just kind of exploited that, you know what, maybe this defense wasn't, or the team rather as a whole, wasn't as strong all around as it appeared to be. And and I will also say, and I, I know Paul loves it when I delve back into my Kyle Odegaard roots and the analytics, but I know early on in the season when the, when the Cardinals were playing really well, there was a couple of analytical uh people on twitter that we're talking about look it's great that the cardinals are playing well but some of these things that they're doing is not sustainable they were converting a lot of third and longs into scores and or first downs that you don't that normally doesn't happen they're doing it at a level higher than anybody ever has and it's it's going to regress 
And it's funny as we – Speaking of regression, uh, it went all the way to the point where in the playoff game they went 0 for 9 on third down, and the average the average distance was third and 11 plus. And that's the thing is you can't get third and long, but like how many times early in the season did we see the, the Cardinals end up with a, a touchdown or a crazy first down when it was like third and 12, third and 14 – you know the third and sixteen run in L.A. that Kyler converted. The one of the 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 uh, zero blitz touchdown pass to uh, Christian Kirk in Tennessee. I want to say was third and long. I, I want to say that was third and long on the Cleveland touchdown pass to DeAndre Hopkins. I'd have to look, but I mean, or uh, Chicago rather, or that was fourth down even. So I mean, maybe maybe some of it was just a, a regression to the mean, and and we saw a little bit of mirage, but that. If that's true, and I don't know, and this team does have an analytics department, and I'm sure that's been pointed out, those are things that, again, go in the pile of things we got to figure out. We can't be putting ourselves in these situations to make it up. Because I do think there there are some there are some analysts that see Kyler Murray as a unique talent, but a talent that too often is playing street football as it were and converting huge plays out of nothing that again isn't sustainable because it's not in the framework of a a regular offense on that note was there a comment leading up to the rams playoff game from either the head coach or the gm that kyler had been watching more film than ever was there a comment made to that effect that that kyler was in the building Uh, watching more film than ever i think it got brought up at some point are you going to go to the new york times comment and maybe it was out of the New York Times. Well, the New York Times was the other way where there was a story about Kyler Murray and Kyler Murray actually is quoted as saying, I don't have to watch as much film okay. because I automatically kind of see everything, which. And so those two combined, um, maybe that's the lesson learned going into the off, this offseason. Maybe that is where the self-improvement comes this offseason for the quarterback is a bigger commitment to the film on a, on a weekly basis. Cause I know the reaction from some was, well, wait a minute, if he's in that film room watching a lot more film going into this playoff game, maybe that should have been the norm. Maybe that should have been the case every week of the regular season, despite the fact he spent the first half of the season as a leading MVP candidate. Um, but you know, if there, if defensive coordinators are going to evolve over the course of a season, and they do. Hello. They go out there and they're going to study everything you do. And in particular, they're going to study your last four games. Every single opponent does that. Guess what? They're going to change how they approach you. And once somebody puts out a blueprint or a game plan that is really effective, you're going to keep seeing it time and again. So when things turn over the course of a season and they never turn back, that's where the phrase comes in that we found ourselves saying at the end of last season, you have to adjust to the adjustment and there's only so much the coaches can do in that regard I guess is I'm just sort of thinking out loud here and once again we're left with so many question marks and so few answers it's forced us to try and fill in the blank with theories look all you can do after the way that not only the season ended but just if you want to look at this playoff game and how they performed or I guess you could say didn't all you can do is take the sting and the pain and learn from it. Learn from it not only just scheme-wise of what plays were working, what wasn't working, but also internally, personally. Like, 
what could I have done in my own preparation? How could I have handled this better? How? And that's just not for Kyler Murray. That's every player, I think. I think that's all you can do is – Look in the mirror, Danny. Yes. Are you telling me to do that? Do no, I have something I, on my face? No, I'm just general? saying <laughs> – I'm just – I needed to boil it down to the press conference cliche that we often hear. We've got to look in the mirror. He was – Staring directly at you, though, Danny. <laughs> it, it did, it I'm just comfortable this way. Trust yeah. me, normally I would be taking my shots at Paul. Well, yeah. We can get to that. Wow, we, yeah. blessed. Yeah, we can. But you know what? And, and, and look, I'll go back to my comment about whether guys went into self-preservation mode. And you're right, Darren. I'm looking at the list of prominent free agents. <laughs> and, and you're right. Uh, look, I'm not going to put Chandler Jones in that category or James Conner. Certainly not Christian Kirk or Chase Edmonds, yeah. right? These are all – Zach Ertz, absolutely not. In fact, they, they needed to maximize Zach Ertz a lot more in that playoff game, I think we all agree. So, yeah, there's some prominent names who I'm not accusing of tanking, uh, but there's also almost three dozen guys who are in a contract here on this roster. So there's a lot of names to choose from. And, uh, once again, doesn't take many guys to be a liability – and all of a sudden you're not playing sound run defense, for example, or you're making you – know, don't forget, for everything that was made in the offseason, and rightfully so about how the Cardinals led the NFL in penalties a year ago, right? 2020, they led the NFL in penalties, correct, Aaron? Wasn't that – I believe – yeah, I think that's, right up, that sounds right. right because me, that yes. was one of the mantras of the offseason, yes, right? Yes. Well, they still finished in the top ten, and they finished tied for number one in the NFL in false starts. With that, the Detroit Lions. That's that's the 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 pre-snap penalties is still a thing. It's still a thing. It yeah. really I to look, is. Am I just remembering this wrong? I feel like that was something too. It all feels like we're two different seasons of first half and second half. But am I remembering that wrong? I feel like it was more this. The the Cardinals would be playing from behind. And they would start to get momentum. And then it was all these penalties stacked up. I feel like that was part of the problem. Those last couple games was. I don't know if that's just you feel maybe a little more rushed or more adrenaline or more emotion or what that is. But, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like those penalties, we saw those a lot more frequently those last couple games when they weren't playing well. Oh, no, I I agree. I I think they had done a better job earlier in the season. But that's, you know, uh, now I feel like I'm writing a, a script for some football movie. But, like, the game is simple. Like, if you don't turn the ball over and you don't commit a lot of penalties and, you know. And you have a good punter. <laughs> I mean, it's. I take it's, that back. It's not hard. I mean, they, why, why did they win those games early? Why did they win almost all their road games? Because they got early leads. They didn't turn the ball over. And they, they played smart. And that got lost because they fell behind, because they felt pressure i don't know if they got worn down uh i don't know it's but we're not the the thing about it is this to me which is we're not talking about a high school team you don't you don't ultimately get to when these guys it's funny they're cliches because we all say them a lot that's why they become cliches and one of the cliches is, like, no one's going to feel sorry for us. No, no one is, including your own fan base, unfortunately. Like, you, you, they get frustrated. And um, I know I know the players are frustrated. I just I keep thinking of J.J. Watt after the game Monday, and somebody said, basically, you know, what happened these last month? And J.J. said the same thing that every other player has basically said. If I knew... We would have gotten it fixed. 
you know, when somebody sends me a mailbag question, wh- why did the Cardinals that va- you know that big picture? Why did the Cardinals struggle so much down the stretch? I don't know. If I did, I would go to somebody upstairs and I would first demand more money <laughs> to be paid, and then I'd let them know. So, but. It's funny because I used that same gag on CBS Sports Radio last night. That's not a gag. Night. That's real life. No, you're right. CBS Sports Radio, the guy, and he's really over the top. Here we go. Cardinals sideline reporter Paul Calvisi. What the hell happened yeah. to the Cardinals? And my response was, well, if I knew, you'd see the first ever instance of a sideline reporter elevated to team president. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, and I, and I don't think it's very complicated. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how to get there, but again, We've talked about it throughout this podcast. Your your quarterback has to play better. You you you. It would help if you didn't get hurt. You can't commit too many penalties, and especially the ones that have nothing to do with the play, the pre-snap variety. Uh, and you have to take advantage because again, and and I know the money game was a blowout, but in pro sports, and, and this is this is my working theory on why the Urban Myers and the Nick Sabins washed out in in the pros. In in pro sports, there is no, there is no giant gap. We saw it in the Lions game. Now, should they have lost the Lions? No. Should they have lost the Lions like they did? Absolutely not. But the Lions aren't that much worse than most NFL teams. They're just not. No NFL team is worse. That's why you have these any given Sundays. That's why the Jacksonville Jaguars can beat the Colts in the last week of the season and knock them out of the playoffs. This is not Alabama playing Vanderbilt, and so. If you do just a few things wrong, it doesn't mean that you're a dumpster fire of a of a of an organization or of a coach or of a player. It means you didn't you you're just doing enough wrong that the other guys and does enough right that you're going to lose that day. I mean, I I certainly don't want to get Pollyanna because this did not end the way it should after seven and zero and ten and two. But this team, it was funny. I'm looking at in print the other day, and I'm looking at this team being 11 and six in a wild card playoff team. And when you see it in front of you that the team is 11 and six with the record, you start thinking 11 and six isn't isn't bad. Did it end the way you wanted? No. Did, should it have ended the way it did? No. But I mean, again, as somebody who's covered this team for 20 years, you talk about the dark days of, you know, thinking Derek Anderson is going to carry you through a season or Kevin Cobb. Uh, or even before that, before I worked for the team. And, you know, I'm covering – I mean, when I first started covering this team, Danny, my first 50 road trips, I took 50 road trips over whatever it was. That's 2000 through part of 2004, whatever it is. This team won nine of those games. Oh, boy. I, I saw a team go 9-41 and 41 in my fifth first four, 50 road trips that I took. This team won eight road games by itself this season. So – I get where the fans are going to get upset. I think they're 100% allowed to. This was a disappointing ending, a massive failure, as J.J. Watt said. But ultimately, I've seen some terrible football. This was not it. And and it's tough for me to get past that ultimately. Again, the devil's in the details. It's it's how you lost. Is it because you lost focus? Yeah. Is that why? Is you know? I mean, how correctable was it? And I think that relates directly to the fans' ire, to whether Ooh, that's how, a good cu- word. how culpable are you for these losses? Did you get out there and, okay, look, you lost Aaron Donald, that's one thing. But if you went out there half speed and half prepared and lost Aaron Donald, then now, 
everyone to a man said the Cardinals had their best week of practice all year and the urgency was there. Well, obviously didn't translate to the game field. Obviously not. And, and Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he was pretty honest going into the game. They asked, what were the two big things plaguing the team going into that playoff game over the final six weeks? He said on, on offense, negative plays. We've talked about that. Pre-snap penalties being a big, big problem. And then big plays allowed on defense. That started, Vance Joseph, pretty frank with the media, going into the playoff game. It started in the rematch against the Rams in Week 14. They gave up three plays of 40-plus yards in that Monday night loss. Until that point in the season, they had given up three plays of 40-plus yards all year. And it just never stopped. The bleeding never stopped. And they just kept giving up big plays. I think there were a half dozen plays that were 20-plus yards against the Rams in the playoff game. It just never stopped. Why were guys not locked into their assignments? Where all of a sudden they're getting physically dominated? So I think that's where fans... Like I said, once again, that's where I think ultimately the culpability comes in as to, all right, how responsible were you for your own loss? Yeah, and I mean, to some extent, coaches can only coach so much when you're not the ones out there making plays on the field. Obviously, they go hand in hand. And this is still fresh, the loss, and so I understand fans being upset, and they should be able to hold this team accountable. Absolutely. And I think it might take some time till maybe people can see my point of view on this, but I think you have to look at the bigger picture to some degree, right? And the way that this team has progressed with this coaching staff and with their quarterback the last three years and getting back to the playoffs and adjustments they made to get to this point to get 11 wins. I don't want to take away from the fact that all the things we've talked about this team still needs to work on. The coaching staff needs to work on. Looking at second half specifically in these last couple of years, there's definitely still things that need to be addressed. But I also think, too, when thinking about the emotions of the season as a whole, maybe not just how it ended, this was not a bad team, right? And so I understand the anger of you get to the playoffs and you don't even win a game or all of that kind of stuff. But I think, too, of just... Like the players say, bringing up another cliche, you have to trust the process. And if they've been trending upwards, maybe a harsh sting like this can be a wake-up call of, okay, what have we done well at improving these last couple of years and what was not working? And that's just the optimism yeah. in me at this funeral. You know what? Maybe the Arizona Cardinals are uh, 5G. 18 to 34 demographic. No, no. <laughs> Well, this this is good for the 18 to 34, actually. I'm glad you brought that up because here's my analogy. Maybe the Arizona Cardinals are 5G. On the day we record Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, 5G is finally being launched in mass. It's been months in the making. I mean, well, it's been years in the making, months in the debut. Wait, didn't I see a story this morning that said it wasn't being well, launched? Not around airports. <laughs> okay. Okay, see, there's still, there's still you some. You guys are way more in the know than I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, once again, there's still some things holding it back, Yeah. i.e. your Arizona Cardinals. The next big thing, mm, just not quite here yet. Yeah. By the way, do you know anyone who actually has 5G? My, uh, my hotspot is 5G. I think I do on my new phone. Oh, somebody got a new phone. Wow. How nice. Okay, there's a flex. Whoa, I actually, I, I just took my dad's old phone and he got the new phone. So <laughs> let's move go. that frustration at him. Wait a minute, how old are you? Like you're getting dad hand-me-downs here? This was like a he got this new phone and then like realized see. two weeks later he wished he'd gotten the bigger one. And I so see. I just upgraded to his. Wow, that's did you have to pay him for it? 
Okay, that's see. This You're, is this is the kind of thing. See, my why son, are you guys suddenly looking at me? On my this son podcast? is going to listen to this podcast and say, "See, Dad, it's not bad. I'm in my twenties." And you could still pay for everything. I don't need that on me right now, Danny. I pay for my own things. Thank you very much. We're going to keep here's, me in that 18 or 34, but not no. say my exact age. Here's the question. Here's the question. Oh, please. <laughs> here's the question. Brace for, the, brace for Darren's reaction based on your response. Oh, God. When you were in school, did dad give you money for good grades? <laughs> no. Okay, good. I'm okay. Because bad. Felipe sat in that I, I, seat last time. I had a little time. bit of problem with Felipe last week. Yeah. No, and, and, if I got a bad grade and I would go to my parents like on a test, I'd be like, but this was the average. Everybody else did poorly. Uh, my parents matter. would say, I don't care how everybody else did. That's right. Darn tootin'. Don't don't try some spin job with the folks, Danny. Don't, don't even. <laughs> oh, don't, I tried. I was not very successful. You know, there's a PR person in the making trying to spin the results of that thing. Okay? <laughs> my goodness. Although... There was a certain calculus test I took my freshman year of college, and I got a 78, and I thought I had like a B minus or something. I got a D plus because the stinking curve was through the roof because I realized later I got stuck in a calculus class designed for computer engineers and physics majors at Berkeley. I was going to say, and I, don't I know got if you knew my this, butt Danny, kicked. But Paul went to Cal. No, I, I don't. I don't mean that in any other way. And there's the saying that I was in a class I shouldn't have been in. <laughs> Go Devils. And the only the only time that I've ever cited the curve was when I got a D plus on a calculus midterm, even though I got a 78. <laughs> we won't talk about my college math. That's <laughs> my one semester of college math. Same. My one semester of college math that was just college algebra, which I had taken twice in high school well once in eighth grade and then retook it in high school because i didn't want to be bothered with moving on and then in college i realized i could take college algebra which was just a little bit more advanced and still get what credit i needed so i didn't i worked backwards on all the tests (laughs) because it was multiple choice and that crushed me on the final and that's why we are all in journalism Uh, i don't do math and Paul actually well, lives by the credo. I was told there was no math, so that's right. Well, that's why, right there. That was the <laughs> that was the beginning of the hashtag. Even before hashtags existed, I had the hashtag no. When math. it was a number sign. Yeah, when. It, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Everybody called pound, it the number the sign. Pound the pound key. Right. That's right. So they called it. So okay. Well, I guess what the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they have company. They weren't the only ones to fail their final exam. <laughs> And that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.